picking off my watch, my father was a minister in the Covenanter Church. And like any Irishman, he can turn a 20-minute presentation into a 60-minute presentation. <laughs> so there's a real danger with me. It doesn't always work. <laughs> Great. The Soldiers and Airmen Scripture Readers Association, soon to become the Soldiers and Aviators Scripture Readers Association. It's a real... It's a real blessing for me personally, and I'd like to share a little bit about why I think it's, uh, it's relatively important, and then I'll be speaking about the unreached. So I, I'm still a serving military officer. My reserve unit, a 209 Manchester Artillery a Battery, is in Manchester. It's in Bellevue. And God willing, I'll be in the Bolton area in a few weeks' time, because my commanding officer has her dine out. So I'll be bringing my wife down to the, this part of the world. But I, I served for 20 years as a regular officer, uh, getting to the rank of major, and I'm still a major now with, with my battery in Manchester. We've also moved as a family into the Catholic Garrison area uh, to help a little church plant be established. So God willing, I'll be returning to that, that this afternoon. And uh, my role is with SASRA as regional manager to make SASRA known uh, amongst the churches uh, and to keep you informed of, of how we're doing. So I love to speak about my colleagues uh, in the Army and the RAF, and I often reflect about them as the unreached. Um, I really dislike the phrase um, overseas mission, because that excludes um, anything that's within seas. And I, I prefer the phrase global mission, uh, telling the world about Christ, because that includes within the United Kingdom itself. And when I was in Somalia three years ago, four years ago, with the United Nations, it struck me how most people from African countries, not maybe not the Muslim countries, but from the other African countries, they knew something of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the people who knew least about Jesus Christ was the British-born British soldier. And I thought that was really, really quite tragic. And even now as I live in Catholic Garrison, and over the years, I see a real lack of knowledge about Jesus Christ and his offer of salvation. And, and that is throughout our society. So I used to be excited about Sazra because it reaches out to the army and the RAF. Now I'm excited because of the opportunity it offers our nation to make Christ known and let young people know. So when I speak about the unreached, you know, I, I'd encourage you to reflect what does a soldier or, or an air person look like? And they don't all look like this guy. They're different uh, sizes, shapes, male and female. But there are some trends, and there are four trends I like to bring out. Uh, and these will scream one word to you. They're mostly young. They're mostly male, which I think is a, is a good thing. Uh, because if, if we're reaching out, the, uh, the Christian church in the United Kingdom is actually a two-to-one female-to-male uh, majority at the moment. So I think reaching out to young men really really certainly excites me and um, so young male often from low income backgrounds the average reading age within Catholic Garrison young men and women in their 20s I say within the Garrison within the infantry training centre the average reading age is between 7 and 9 years old that's the average so that indicates that people are from low income backgrounds and I think that there's a real opportunity for us to share Christ with people from such backgrounds because a lot of larger churches, they focus on colleges and those in tertiary education. So I remember going to a large church and they said, wow, you evidently did a great youth work. Um, can I suggest that you're also glamorous? 
Um, can I suggest that most of you are young professionals? And, and they kind of laughed and said, yes, that's the case. But within SASRA, we've got this opportunity to reach out to people often from low income backgrounds. And the fourth thing I bring out is that these young people are not like young people you see on the streets. Uh, they're not your average guy in a hoodie, uh, in ripped jeans, and on their phone all the time. They are when they're off duty, but when they're on duty, they're not. They're respectful, and they're confident, and they're willing to ask difficult questions. And that brings me back to the word opportunity. We have an opportunity within our society to offer God's word, and to offer the message of Jesus Christ to people who are willing to listen. Uh, whenever we offer uh, Bibles, um, I'll only say at the end, you know, do you know what the take-up normally is amongst young men and women going through training? It's normally nine out of ten people will take God's word. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're to do that in the streets of Horwich, I don't, I just don't think that would, you'd get that kind of return. I don't think you'd get 90% of people accepting. Sometimes we've got 100%. There's a real um, anomaly a while back when only 50% of people took a Bible. So, you know, we've got this opportunity to hand out God's word. But even more so, it's about getting alongside people and telling them about Jesus Christ. So the, what are our armed forces doing? So something I like to do is, is just to remind people, well, we've just left Mali. Um, this is a slightly older slide. But uh, and that was an armed intervention uh, in Africa. In Estonia, we still have troops there. And across uh, Eastern Europe, we have uh, the RF. Our, our, uh, they're out hoovering up electronic intelligence <coughs> from a conflict not too far away. Um, in Estonia, we have a battle group of about 600 to 900 people um, exercising in case of Russian aggression. And there's a huge effort uh, resourcing them. And then there's Operation Shader, which is striking targets in the Middle East. And that, that continues to try to keep a handle on, on ISIS. So our, our nation's young men and women are still fighting, albeit at a much lower threshold than you would expect in recent years. We still have a NATO commitment. My last job was in the Allied Rocket Reaction Corps down in Gloucester. Uh, so we still have a NATO commitment, which is coming more to the fore. Our young men and women support COVID flooding uh, emergency response. Two of my soldiers are um, helping out the border force at the moment because of strikes. So there's still lots of um, occasions when the Army and the RAF are called to surge and to support the, uh, the civic power. And then we also have lots of exercises that are ongoing. Um, and, and those are really quite dangerous, not least because of the ammunition, but also because of heavy armour. Uh, and road traffic accidents are a serious threat to um, all, all those who are serving. Um, so there's an act, there was an incident a year and a half ago where a young man died. Uh, the vehicle rolled over in Salisbury Plain. And his colleagues were trapped in that vehicle with him for several hours. The emergency services could not cut him loose because, uh, could not cut the, the body loose because of the armor in the vehicle and the live ammunition inside. So it's a very different way of life. Uh, and there's also a real sense of urgency as well. Um, recently we had the Sudan evacuation. Hundreds of young men and women were in Sudan helping the evacuation. Two years ago, there was an even bigger one. The, uh, within hours, young men and women had to come in from holiday, pack day sacks, and they were flying out to Kabul airport where the Taliban captured Afghanistan. 
and they had to help the evacuation of nationals. So within hours, our children, our young men and women, were in harm's way. And on that occasion, no British soldiers were injured. But I know of at least one Christian soldier who was on a checkpoint just hours before ISIS-K blew up, and dozens were killed at that checkpoint. So the threat is very real. Even four years ago, when I was in Somalia, uh, we came under mortar fire, and rounds were falling just as, as far away as, as my car is from me now. So, so you don't hear about those things, but those dangers are still very much there. Uh, and the dangers of training are very much there as well. There is one other thing I would, uh, I would suggest, just going back to that slide, and that's the war in Eastern Europe. We're not in armed conflict at this time, but we are supporting a conflict, and you'll see a lot in the headlines. I see a lot of other reports coming through on my army terminal that I'm not able to share. But the, the world is in a very precarious state, I would suggest. Um, and within that, we don't know when our armed forces could deploy next. So there is a huge degree of urgency that our young men and women hear the gospel now whilst they can. And whenever there is uh, an evacuation operation or any kind of activity, our scripture readers surge to the nearest air base of the Bryce Norton in order to help help them hear the gospel and put God's word into their hands and to speak to people, try to seek opportunity to share Christ as we can. So there's about 110,000 in the army and the RAF. seems to be falling all the time. Um, that, that hides their families as well. So there are lots of spouses and children, and hopefully our scripture readers can get in amongst them and to share the gospel as well. And that's really the crux of it. We're, we're not replacing the church. Sazra is there because the church cannot get into an, an army base. Uh, so I live in Catherine Garrison. I'm still serving. I've got a Mod 90. It's an identity card, so I can get onto any army or RAF base. But the church can't because the church doesn't have that kind of authority. So within that environment, really we're reliant upon the chaplains, uh, and the chaplains often do uh, a good work, but they're multi-faith, uh, and they are discouraged from protesting. Uh, we actually have a scripture reader. The chaplain buys Bibles and gives them to the scripture reader because the chaplain is frowned upon from offering them out. But the scripture reader can't because we're mandated to share Christ. So that, that's the sweet spot where scripture readers can support chaplains uh, and really just get God's word out in amongst people. So I don't want to linger too long. I'd rather speak for the remaining time on the scripture readers themselves. Dave Hossack is a great friend of mine, a friend, fellow church planter, scripture reader, babysitter, man has many hats. Um, he's 62 years old, which he hates me telling people. But I'm always quite encouraged, not least because we have the same barber. <laughs> Dave rides motorcycles, and he, you know, he cuts around Catherine Garrison on a motorcycle, 62 years old. And he's three times the age of some of the young men and women that come to the infantry training centre where he is based. But why do I say that about Dave? It's because we want the optimum, in the army we talk about a weapon delivery system, we want the optimum gospel delivery system. And Dave is just on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ. Loves apologetics, has a real heart for people, and just loves it. He's got a growing appetite for street evangelism. But he just loves going up to people, offering literature, talking to them, 
He'll approach them uh, logically. Um, he's fantastic to his arguments. Loves evangelism. We've had some real encouragement to hear in recent weeks. Uh, we've had, uh, I'm losing track, four or five professions of faith uh, due to Dave's activity. So often it's quiet for quite a while. And then several people come together and they often make professions of faith around the same time. And two of those guys have left and Dave's found them churches uh, back uh, in their hometown. Uh, but last year, the, was it last year? Yes, last year, the Ukrainians. So the Ukrainians are training in Catholic Garrison and in four other locations. And, um, and Dave was called out to a field service by another chaplain. And he was able to offer God's word. It's actually written about in the little black ready magazine. Please do help yourselves to the literature out there. The black version with Her Majesty in the front, she was her patron. Um, it, has a, it has a testament of this story in there. And, uh, and yet he was able to offer the gospel. And two people came forward and, and asked, how can God forgive me for my sins? And they made professions of faith. And the startling thing is that those guys, they returned not to their homes, but they went straight on to the front line. We don't believe they returned to their homes in Ukraine. They went straight to the front line. So, you know, one day you're being offered the opportunity to repent of your sins and seek salvation in Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Within the week, you're under the umbrella of Russian artillery. So that's, that's really quite sobering. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's quite amusing. I, in a really lovely way. You know, Sazerac isn't there for um, our mission is not to share uh, the gospel amongst um, anybody outside the British Army. So it's what we call mission creep. But we're going to offer the gospel to everyone, aren't we? Uh, the opportunity to offer it to Russian soldiers is not happening in the short term, unless somebody's captured. Um, but I think it's great that we've got this opportunity to make Christ known throughout our society. And, and that's our desire. Tian the clerk is in line. Uh, he's had some real encouragements recently. In the prayer bulletin, which I'd encourage you to take, um, and if somebody in the church would like to be an advocate, then we can get these delivered to the church. Um, but he's recently had another child. Tian is South African, and he has a lot of children. I, I've lost track of how many he has. They've had another one. And he's just asked for prayer uh, for his wife's uh, recovery of death of the child. The child is doing well. Um, but Tian's a real encouragement. A uh, big South African joined the British Army to tell people about Jesus Christ and realised he could do it better as a scripture reader. And Tian in recent weeks has had a faith or, or a fake or faith course, which he's created because somebody who came to Christ challenged him and said, why don't you do something a bit more frequently to increase the tempo? And he did and he produced this short course because it has to align with uh, the, the training that, um, that the guys go through uh, and the busy uh, way of life that they have in, in army barracks. And he got this short course produced and out of that, three people have come to faith that have made confessions of faith, I should say. So that's a huge encouragement in itself. And, and that course, we're having another course again soon. So Tian's just thriving down in line. And I love to mention Steve Curdy as well. Steve is our uh, RAF scripture reader. We have another one joining us imminently, or he's joined, but we're still waiting for him to get security clearance and so on. But Steve is in Bryce Norton. He took over from May. He retired just last year. And Steve's doing really well. He's um, he's doing really well, but he's also suffering. So somebody described Steve as one of the fittest men in the army about 
two years ago, I think it was two years ago now, Steve had diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome, maybe a year and a half ago. And from going from one of the fittest people you know to somebody who could barely leave his sofa and watch his wife doing all the jobs, that really, really, uh, it really hit him hard. And uh, oh, he'll tell you with tears in his eyes just how hard it was. So um, he really struggled. And what inspires me about Steve is Steve just has a huge success with his limited time. He has to husband his resources to um, his, his physical strength in order to offer the gospel. So he has to watch what he eats, and he does that so he can better offer the gospel during the working day. He has to avoid some meetings so he can go to other meetings, and he has to make an assessment. What do I resource? Because I'll just be, I'll just be run out. And I think it's wonderful that we see somebody who's struggling with the flesh in a very literal way, not even with sin, but the weakness of the flesh. In this case, in the weakness of the body, he's, he's suffering, but he is striving to make Christ known. Um, and there's just a heartwarming statement I read from Steve recently. He just said, I've lost track of the amount of one-to-one interactions I have. There's an abundance of opportunity in our society to make Christ known. And people want to know about a salvation plan, which we'll come to in our sermon in a few moments. Great, so the challenges remain. Um, I'm not going to dwell on those. I think the big thing is is sharing our faith in the public square. Um, I've heard that humanist chaplains are happening in the next, in, in short term, uh, next few weeks. So I'm not sure how a humanist chaplain interacts with somebody who wants to make Christ known. Um, but that's a very real problem, I suggest. So there are some real challenges. But the value is just massive. And I say that uh, as, you know, as somebody who's British, I love the fact that we're telling the United Kingdom about Jesus Christ. Uh, young people often from backgrounds who we can just share Jesus Christ with. And you know what? They're willing to listen. I think that's the interesting thing. Um, even, even in my role as a reservist, I love telling my guys and girls about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I've got loads of booklets in my office, and I'm able to give them out and to share a little word with people. And I don't want to take away from the work of Sazra, but I'm better at sharing my faith because I get to represent scripture readers and I hear how they do it. And even just last week, my colonel was up against it. She, it uh, the female colonel, she came in and she was sitting at my desk and she said, do you mind if I have this? And she picked up a little book of hope, a little book of, a little book of help. It's a very old gospel track, you might um, remember it from years ago. But, you know, in every opportunity, just try to make Christ known. And I've had some fantastic opportunities in the past few uh, years. So people in the army and the RAF, they're willing to listen. And, and they're respectful and they're willing to engage in a way that the rest of society is not. We've had some encouragements, although Lee McDade got an award for being a scripture reader and then left the army to become a pastor in a church in Colchester. We have great relations with the chaplaincy and, and we've got more selection and recruitment events. It's really hard to get the right people coming through. Uh, it's a real challenge. And it's, uh, we need to have people who have served but who are passionate about the Lord Jesus Christ, who are sound in their faith, and who are winsome and discerning as well, in a very difficult environment. But the work continues. We're encouraged to be growing our capability inside the RAF, God willing that will continue. Courses continue, uh, be it scripture, um, Christianity Explored, or the Alpha Course, and handing out Bibles, which is a fantastic encouragement. Great. I think we're going to end on... Great.
We'll go back one. I would ask you, as you leave today, please take some little literature. Okay, you can read it. The Ready Magazine, it'll keep you up to date in what we're, we're delivering as Salsham. The prayer building will help you to pray for our work. And if you don't pray for Salsra, I'd encourage you to get prayer resources for other missions that make, uh, make Christ known. I don't have many good ideas. It's one of the reasons why I became an officer. You don't have to have good ideas. You have to recognize your guy's good ideas and run with those. But two years ago, I had a good idea. And I made my youngest child the prayer coordinator for our house. And a seven-year-old, who's now nine, his job is simply to read out the scripture reader um, prayer for the day. So if you have children, grandchildren, I'd encourage giving them a job so that they're involved in the mission. And the final one, this is the lightest burden. This is uh, a one-minute read. Uh, it's a leaflet on Saturday, just to keep you informed. And I would ask you to, to sign up to our newsletters because we have videos online which we'll email you. It, it's a link to a video. And it shows um, some of our scripture readers speaking about their work. And there's a guy, Josh, who's a pastor down in London, ex-para. He is uh, he's speaking in a recent one about Bethlehem stress and also about the coronation. If you'd like to, even before you leave today, I'll be collecting these. It's on the back of the, the little leaflets. If you fill that in, you get a free pen. Be blessed. <laughs> okay? But do with your details. Try to be a bit more mercenary about it. And, um, yeah, be informed about what the Lord is doing. Thank you. Number four is read verses 1 to 26. And it's worth keeping your Bible open during the service as well, as those are referring to it. And uh, you just drop your eyes onto it and follow the words. Oh, page 10, 6, and 6. My Bible. <laughs> So page 10, 66, chapter 4. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although it was in fact not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a smart woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? <coughs> Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him 
will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. I've taken this sermon several times and there's only one occasion when I didn't have glass of water beside me and um, on every occasion I needed it. <laughs> <clears throat> so this is a really familiar passage for most of us, I think. When I, when I came to looking at it, I found a real, a real great blessing, which hopefully we'll all be able to dwell on today. So I'm going to offer you three questions, three responses, and maybe four candles. <laughs> so what do you think you need? And what do you need? And who or what fulfills that need? Those are, those are your three questions up front. The first question. What do you think that you need? In my experience, when this question has been asked, the response from the non-Christian is, well, if I had won the lottery, I would. And occasionally the response is, well, as a Christian, I don't gamble, but if I won the lottery, I would. <laughs> All too often, we don't acknowledge our true need. A recent observer noted that for hundreds of years, our society quashed its spiritual longing, its guilt, well, it quashed it by the consumption of alcohol. But these days, now, society binges on box sets or Netflix, <coughs> and it just, that idol of entertainment <coughs> suppresses any meaningful thought. Instead of reflection and speaking spiritual answers, our society, it offers distraction and denial. But if you're relying on any worldly placebo, like entertainment or alcohol, in suppressing our guilt or spiritual restlessness, well, that's not going to work. It's going to hide what our real problem is. And this lady here by the well, she doesn't seem to know 
what she really needs. So it's nice to take a step back now and establish a bit of context. So Jesus here is separated from his disciples and he's sitting by a well in Samaritan territory at noon. Now the Samaritans believed that they were the true lineage of God's people. Uh, there's an early schism uh, years before. Uh, they believed that they were the true lineage of God's people, believing that the Jewish faith had been corrupted during the period of Babylonian captivity. And the Samaritans insisted on worshipping God at Mount Gerizim instead of at Jerusalem. The Samaritan woman is alone. Uh, she's visiting the well the hottest time of day, probably to avoid the discrimination of the community because she's living with a guy who's not her husband. That's what we can surmise. Now in the heat of the day, uh, we have both water and we've got a very hot day. That's pretty good. Doesn't always work out that way. In the heat of the day, it's not unreasonable that a tired and a thirsty traveler who's quite weary might enjoy a refreshing drink of cold water. So that's the scene set. Now within this passage, it's really rich. There's a lot of themes that we could go into. Uh, just thinking of a few of them, uh, the cultural values of uh, the, uh, the relationship between uh, men and women uh, within society, uh, sharing the gospel <coughs> within different parts of our society, maybe to those less privileged or, or to society's outcasts. It's a divided society. Jews and Samaritans always strikes me as being like Northern Ireland, the Protestant and Catholic problem. Uh, but the, within the United Kingdom mainland, we, we see that uh, uh, everywhere, don't we, in one form or another. Just broken communities. We can reflect upon the divine nature of Christ in human form. We see so much uh, that is divine in Christ. His knowledge of things that, that mere people won't know. But we're not going to lose sight of the central point of this passage. Uh, it's the offer of Christ that fulfills our greatest need. And the analogy here is of living water. So in the previous chapters of John, Jesus has turned water into wine. So water has gone into wine, and he spoke to Nicodemus about being born again. So he's used water as an analogy in, in different ways. So this is, this is a fresh one, a fresh analogy, where Jesus speaks of living water. And this living water, well, it satisfies. So the first question I present to you is, uh, I present to you, which is, what do you think you need? And, and the second question is, what do you actually need? What do we actually need? as people. So here we have Jesus asking a woman by a well for a drink, and she sees a Jew, probably believes him to be a rabbi or a Jewish teacher, and someone who's asking her for the favour. She has the means to provide that, uh, the drinking vessel that she carries, uh, that's used in the absence of internal plumbing. So that's how she gets the water out of the well, is this uh, object, which is very precious in that society, but she hasn't. Jesus doesn't have it. She has it. So she thinks he's the guy with the problem, and she's got the solution to his problem. It's interesting, isn't it? And she's, she's really, <clears throat> this is wonderful, she struggles to understand the depth of what our Saviour is saying. So, looking around at the age group, many people might remember the four, uh, the four, the four candles sketch. Mm -hmm. the <laughs> oh, wow. That's the most affirmative that I've ever had. In the last church I was in a a young fellow nodded and thought, wow, that's a new one. Okay, well, to remind you, an ironmonger or a hardware shopkeeper, played by Ronnie Corbett, becomes 
increasingly frustrated by the customer, played by Ronnie Barker, because he misunderstands what the customer is requesting. And the shopkeeper is approached by a customer, Barker, uh, uh, Ronnie Barker, who's holding a shopping list. And the customer requests what sounds like four candles. And he takes out four candles, and it goes backwards and forwards, uh, and the shop owner is more and more frustrated, and eventually um, the customer rephrases it. He says, fork handles, handles for forks. Pitch <laughs> fork handles is what he wanted. So if you, if you look at this passage of scripture, it's really, really subtle, but it's there. Um, in a similar fashion, the Samaritan woman misunderstands Jesus and repeatedly inquires as to his ability to get temporary refreshment, as opposed to his offer of eternal fulfillment. So the Samaritan woman in this moment, well, well she misunderstands completely. She thinks the need of the hour is for a drink of water that's going to satisfy a momentary thirst. <coughs> and she thinks that, that she can provide it. The reality is, she cannot provide what's needed. She cannot provide what's truly needed. And she's the one who's actually in need. And, and we see that within our society, don't we? People don't know what they need. That's why I asked the question. What do you need? People don't know what they need in our society. I think years ago, people did. Our society was different. They knew that the answer was maybe to be found in church. It was probably to be found in the law, even though they resented it and, and stayed away. But in modern society, I don't believe people do know that they are sinners. They don't know, understand what it means to be saved. They don't understand what it means to be at peace with God and to enjoy Jesus as Savior. They don't understand they're blind to their need. So there's a recent account of a sign that read, Christ is the answer. And underneath, some quick wit had spread, what's the question? And I think really that's it. That's what society's asking is, is what is the question? But that's, that's what's implied here, isn't it? The question is, what is our deepest need? What is our deepest thirst? What is the eternal solution to the human condition? What's going to fix us? Because everywhere we look, it's broken. You only have to be on the streets of any town I just think there's brokenness everywhere. I live in the heart of Catholic Garrison, and uh, in the early hours of this morning, Louis Bar is through the trees, and it's, it's just massive consumption of alcohol. You can find alcohol on the street afterwards. Uh, there's just rubbish, which speaks about late night activity. There's broken glass. There's bloodied clothing, often where some Fijian has pounded his friend into the ground. It's just a broken society. That's not the worst of it. That's, that's just good army fun, as they call it. The reality is, you know, you look elsewhere into our cities, there's just brokenness throughout. <coughs> and behind closed doors, um, it's interesting now we've moved, uh, our, our oldest child has started high school. Who takes your breath away? The things that you, you, think, you think are happening behind closed doors, you don't know. But households are just lost without Jesus Christ, and they have no idea what they need. So the third question. So to answer that second question, what do we need? And Jesus is saying, what we need is a fountain of water leading up to eternal life. 
We need to be reconciled to God. And that's what this living water is. It's an abundance of something that satisfies and that fulfills us and that we need. So the third question, who or what fulfills that need? In the previous chapters of John, Jesus has started to reveal his divinity. He's turned water into wine. He spoke about the necessity to be born again. He's revealing himself now to be the answer, the solution that society needs, that mankind needs. He's the prophesied saviour, reconciliation with the almighty and the just God, and even more, an abundant life thereafter. Nobody else can offer this. Nobody else has died for our sins, so nobody else is qualified. It's only in Jesus Christ that this can be recognised. And now, if you have your Bibles, what do you do? Look at verse 10 and, and 13 and 14. <coughs> Uh, verse 10 on page uh, 1067. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And in 13 and 14, Jesus answered, Everybody, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. And if you look ahead in the passage at, at verse six, at verse twenty-six, yep, ah, oh, it's just fantastic. Jesus says, "I who speak to you am He." Jesus, um, the woman speak, speaks about becoming Messiah, the prophecy one, and Jesus says, "I am He." It's really clear. It's really concise. It's unequivocal. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the source of living water, and Jesus is the saviour we need. Uh, just taking a step back, I, I, I love speaking about Romans 6.23. It's a verse, when I left the army and I entered the reserves, I wanted to be better at sharing my faith. And I love Romans 6.23, even though it's given to Christians, not to all Christians. Uh, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And again, it's answering the questions that we're coming to. Okay, there's a problem, there's a solution. We need eternal, eternal life, and it's all through Jesus Christ. So Jesus is that saviour that we need. So let's think about application going ahead uh, as we enter the week. Whatever we think we need, and we might think we need more money. Uh, this was written in, in a time of COVID, so we might think we need a vaccine, as all the papers were saying. If we think we need health, if we think we must have our children's education, if we think we must have a good pension, if we think we need a few more years or a few more moments in this world, whatever we think we need, what we actually need is a saviour. And Christ alone fulfills this need. And he does so abundantly and forever. Um, in another sermon, I, I, I just caused to reflect. Imagine eternity in heaven. Is there anything better? Is there anything that lasts longer than eternity? He's giving us the best thing beyond what we could ever hope for, and it lasts longer than anything else. It's just utterly, utterly fantastic. Talk about living water. 
So Christ fulfills this need and does so abundantly. So how should we live our lives in the light of this? Well, reflecting upon this, I think as Christians we should recognize, recognize that this fundamental truth that Christ is all we need. In the next few verses, we see the reaction of the Samaritan woman. She leaves her prized water carrier and she runs to tell her friends about Jesus Christ. That's the equivalent of leaving your car uh, with the doors open, keys in the, in the ignition, and just running to tell people about Jesus Christ. That's the urgency that, that she feels. She recognizes the need for a savior, and the solution to her deepest thirst is right there in front of her, offering himself. So we can recognize that. And I think we also need to be satisfied by that. In Western society, we'll often take for granted um, a, a glass of water. We often do. Like in North Yorkshire, it's tea, isn't it? It's tea <laughs> up, up north. Um, and that's, that's pretty true. But whenever you're in a hot environment, actually, and tea is refreshing in a hot environment, I'm not denying it, uh, but a drink of water is, is a great thing. But it only satisfies a temporary thirst. And we can have our deepest thirst and our longing satisfied. And all our thirsts can be satisfied with this living water. It quenches everything, so it should affect our lives. Our friends and our neighbours should be challenged. They should see that we possess this. That our peace, our joy, our satisfaction don't lie in the things of this world, such as vaccines and water and pensions, etc., but they lie in something eternal. They should see in our lives that we enjoy that living water. And as Christians, we should share it. So like the smart woman, we have to be prepared to leave what we value and tell others of Jesus. The woman left a prized possession, her water jar. We too need to be prepared to drop everything and tell people about Jesus Christ. And I, I, I can tell you this, I never used to be as excited about evangelism as I was before I really started to work for Sazra. For 20 years I struggled to tell my friends and colleagues about my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And now I seem to have opportunity and better ability every day. And it just, it seems to grow. And my narrative has changed significantly. Whether it's my boy in school, it's whether our chickens died yesterday. Uh, yesterday morning a fox got in, killed them. So that's a bit, you know, it could have been a bit more distressing. And there's a little boy who's really unwell. And, and the family came around because we're all, Offering a bit of hospitality at the time of the coronation. And he's, in a, he's in an electric wheelchair. So he's got limited things in life. And oh, he really liked those chickens. <laughs> my first thought was, God, oh, how are we going to tell them? And um, because we're hoping that they'll come to the church and, and they'll find Christ. And uh, my wife said, how are, we, how are we going to do it? And I said, well, we'll use it as an opportunity for the gospel. And that's what we're going to do. That's what, in everything we have, we're trying to just better tell people about Jesus Christ and show that our hope goes beyond this. So, on a final note, this, this is a really powerful image, so you might want to close your eyes for this. There's an alternative picture that looks very similar to this. So you imagine this uh, image. <clears throat> Here, in John chapter 4, We've got a sinful woman. She's, she's a sinner, as we are. There is a well, which is deep in the ground. The offer of a drink, and the perfect Son of God. 
thousands of years before this moment, there is a mirror opposite picture. A perfect woman. A tree, that's actually above ground, isn't it? The offer of food instead of drink. And Satan, the evil one. So on the first occasion, back after creation, an offer of sin. And it leads to destruction and damnation. The fall of mankind. But on the second occasion, as we've read about, a moment in Christ's ministry on earth, as he illustrates his offer of redemption to mankind. The two pictures are almost polar opposites of each other. And I think it's just so, so striking. And it makes this occasion by a well in Sicker in Samaria all the more poignant. On the one hand, there's a perfect woman deceived, leading to catastrophe and ruin. And here we see a sinful woman offered the gospel, the truth, the good news of everlasting peace and eternal joy. So if you're saved by Christ, consider this. You've been offered that water, that same water that the smart woman was offered. And you've drunk it because you're in Christ. And it satisfies your deepest thirst. Christ offers more riches than any lottery can offer. More health than any vaccine can offer. More friendship and intimacy than any dating website can offer. More peace than any ceasefire or armistice can offer, and more thirst quenching living water than, than any mere drink can offer. So we can recognize it, we can be satisfied by it, and we can share it because it's our living water. So um, uh, afterwards, as we go to our cup of tea, uh, you'll find some Sadra material through there that I'm sure Andrew would like to have a look at. If you like that, any questions about Sadra, then, then you'll hear for a few minutes to answer those. And um, as for the, the Bible message this morning, I'm sure you're happy to talk about the living water as well. As with any of the elders here, any Sunday, if you'd like us to talk about anything or, or pray with you, whatever it might be, then we're at your disposal. Uh, we're going to end our service with another song that seems appropriate. Um, Seek ye the Lord, all ye people. I'm sure if, if we were desperately thirsty, and, and there wasn't a cup of tea through there, but there was uh, a, a bit of supply of cold water just down the road, we'd be heading for it, we'd be looking for it. Uh, this, this is an, an injunction from, from the book of Isaiah, uh, to seek the Lord, because, because uh, there's, there's living water there, as the words of this song go on to say. So let's, let's, uh, let's stand and sing this now. Uh, and sing it in the <coughs> 